fair use notice. This channel may make use of copyrighted material, the use of which has not always been specifically authorized by the copyright owner. This constitutes a fair use of any such copyrighted material as provided for in Section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Law. In accordance with Title 17 U.S.C. Section 107, the material on this channel is offered publicly and without profit to the public users of the Internet for comment and nonprofit educational and informational purposes. Copyright Disclaimer Under Section 107 of the Copyright Act 1976, allowance is made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is a use permitted. No copyrights is or are claimed. The content is broadcasted for study, research, and educational purposes. The broadcaster gains no profit from broadcasted content, so it falls under fair use guidelines, www.copyright.gov forward slash FLS forward slash FL102.html. And we'll be right back. Hello, my lovely loyal listeners. (laughs) This is just Miss Rose. Guess what, you guys? It's Thursday. I forgot to record my Wednesday episode. I'm going to get to the Monday, Wednesday schedule, Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule. I'm going to get it. But anyway, today happens to be Thursday, September 1st. 2022. I cannot believe August is over, September is here, and fall is rapidly approaching. But anyway, as you guys know, this is a 30-minute program, and now since I've had some guests on, I want to do more with some guests. It's so much more fun talking to somebody else, but it's fun talking to you too. And one of my people that I actually talked to is inspiring today's as the massage tip returns, and we'll talk about it as soon as I get back from this brief pause for the cause. I love you for listening. We'll be right back. It's time for Dictionary Definition of the Day.
Today's dictionary definition word of the day brought to you by Oxford Languages is loathe. It's a verb. Feel intense dislike or disgust for. Loathe. And we'll be right back. All right, my lovely loyal listeners, we are back and we are on the website verywellmind.com. And this article is entitled, What is Self-Loathing? It was written by Jody Clark, M-A-L-P-C slash M-H-S-P. And it was updated on February 16th. 2022. Medically reviewed by Daniel B. Block, MD. What is self-loathing? Self-loathing or self-hatred is extreme criticism of oneself. It may feel as though nothing you do is good enough or that you are unworthy or undeserving of good things in life. Self-hate can feel like having a person following you around all day, every day, criticizing you and pointing out every flaw or shaming you for every mistake. Typical self-hatred thoughts may include, I knew I would fail. Why do I even try? I'm a loser. No one wants to be around me. Look at me screwing up again. Can't I just be normal? I hate myself. What causes self-hate? Self-hatred, self-hatred, develops over time. It's typically triggered by more than one factor, including past trauma, perfectionism, false expectations, social comparisons, and several learned behaviors. Trauma. Many people with extreme self-hatred have been through traumatic and emotionally challenging experiences in their past. These experiences often include sexual, physical, or emotional abuse and neglect. When children experience trauma, they begin to view the world as unsafe and the people around them as dangerous. In an effort to make sense of their world, they may develop a narrative that makes them feel as if they are not worth loving and have no value. These hateful statements may have been said directly to them by a parent or loved one, and they soon become an all-too-familiar part of their inner critic. Getting help. If trauma is behind your self-hatred, consider seeking professional help. Whether a therapist, minister, or spiritual counselor, professional support can enable you to understand the root of your self-loathing and take steps towards self-compassion. 
false expectations. It is normal to want to belong, be accepted, or perform a task well. However, sometimes our expectations of self can be so high that they are unattainable by any human. These extraordinary expectations often lead to us falling short and feeling as if we have failed. In these moments, our inner critic shows up to shame us and remind us how disappointing we have been. Even if our rational side recognizes that the expectations are unreasonable, our inner critic continues to drive home statements of self-hate. Attempts to please others. In an effort to be connected to others, we may have learned over time that meeting the expectations of others works well. We might learn through social experiences that when other people are happy with us, we can feel happy with ourselves. This unhealthy way of thinking about relationships may even lead to significant patterns of dependent behavior. Nonetheless, some people feel devastated when they are not able to meet the needs of others or they feel they have disappointed someone. Statements of self-hatred suggest that when we don't meet the expectations of others, something is wrong with us. We have failed or we are not worthy of being loved or valued by others. Perfectionism. A perfectionist is often viewed as someone who allows themselves no margin of error, no wiggle room for human mistakes or limitations. They expect perfection of themselves and possibly others at all times and in all situations. It is important to note that we often develop a perfectionist mindset in an effort to protect ourselves from pain and feelings of disconnection. The belief is that when you perform perfectly, you are somehow preventing yourself from feeling pain. This pain may include feelings of shame, embarrassment, loneliness, abandonment, ridicule, judgment, and more. Social comparison. While it is normal to look around and notice what others are doing, it can become painful when you place value on that observation. If you experience self-hatred, it is common to have what is referred to as upward comparison. This simply means having a tendency to only notice and give value to people who are performing better and in turn devaluing yourself with statements of self-hate. The tolls of self-hatred. Self-hatred affects and influences many aspects of daily living. Self-hatred can prevent you from making important decisions, taking risks, connecting with others, and achieving goals. If you struggle with self-hatred, you may experience experience its consequences in many areas and ways. Relationship with self. Not surprisingly, self-hatred as a neg- has 
as a wait a minute. Not surprisingly, self-hatred as a negative impact on self. I think that's supposed to be. Not surprisingly, self-hatred has a negative impact on self-concept, the image you have of yourself, as well as self-esteem, how you feel about yourself. When your inner critic is constantly putting yourself down, it's nearly impossible to view yourself in a positive light. The workplace. Since work is often performance-based, behaving a certain way, meeting job expectations, interacting with others, it is not surprising that self-hatred can impact your work life. When you feel worthless or incapable, you may be less likely to take on projects or find it difficult to work collaboratively with others. You may feel resentment toward coworkers or put other or put yourself down for lack of performance. Social situations. It can be extremely difficult to make and, man- and maintain friendships when you are burdened with constant and relentless negative self-talk and self-loathing. To avoid the pain of criticism, judgment, or abandonment, you may even resist meeting new people. Or you may come off as cold or uncaring, which can prevent you from getting close to others. Family relationships. Since a significant influence on self-hatred comes from past social experiences like abuse and trauma, family dynamics can feel very complicated for someone struggling with self-hatred. You may be in a situation that requires you to be in contact with someone from your painful past, causing distress and a tendency to withdraw in an effort to avoid experiencing painful memories and emotions. Even if you're not dealing with a traumatic family history, your perfectionist mindset and unrealistic expectations of self can get in the way of being able to enjoy family interactions. The pressure to perform perfectly in those settings can become too much and prevent you from forming and or enjoying family connections. And we'll be right back after this brief pause for the cause. I love you for listening. Romantic relationships. Romantic relationships can feel complicated and confusing for someone who experiences self-hatred. You may fight the ideal of closeness and intimacy. Even if you long to feel close, the fear of someone seeing your perceived imperfections, limitations, or lack of value can be overwhelming and stand in the way of a meaningful relationship. The inner critic is painful enough, but the thought of someone close to you seeing or thinking those things about you can feel devastating. Goal setting. Self-hatred tells us that we are not capable and will likely fail or fall short. And this type of thinking can make goals, desires, and dreams feel distant and impossible. You may look at others and think they are getting it right while you suffer from constant self-critical statements. Living this way is emotionally exhausting and can result in a lack of desire to set goals at all. Decision-making 
Negative self-talk and self-loathing can hijack or paralyze decision-making abilities. When you see yourself in such a negative way, you may feel less willing to take risks that will help you grow. You may pull away from opportunities to connect with others and find yourself stuck in a pattern of self-doubt. How to stop the cycle of self-loathing. Living with self-hatred is overwhelming, exhausting, and isolating. Luckily, there are steps we can take to quiet that inner critic, calm the negative storm, and move forward in positive ways. Tame your inner critic. If you struggle with self-hatred, your inner critic might feel relentless and you may begin believing your inner dialogue's hateful narrative. When this happens, it is helpful to try to slow yourself down and distinguish feelings from fact. Inventory your strengths. Identifying your strengths can help quiet self-hatred. If you find it difficult to come up with some of your own, consider asking others for help. It is, always, it is almost always easier to recognize someone else's strengths rather than your own. Learn to accept compliments. If you view yourself in a hateful way, it's hard to take a compliment. It may even feel foreign and uncomfortable, and so you'll dismiss it or minimize to avoid feeling vulnerable. Learning how to accept a compliment will take practice, but it is possible. The next time someone compliments you, try saying thank you and stop there. Resist the urge to follow it up with a self-critical or dismissive response. Develop self-compassion. People who struggle with self-hatred often have little or no compassion toward themselves. In fact, the ideal of having self-compassion can feel impossible or confusing. A great way to think of self-compassion is to think about how you would treat a friend or loved one. Would you beat them up for making a mistake or remind them that no one is perfect? Psychologist and self-compassion researcher Christine Neff, Ph.D., explains. Instead of mercilessly, mercilessly, oh my God, mercilessly judging and criticizing yourself for various inadequacies and short inadequacies and shortcomings, self-compassion means you are kind and understanding when confronted with personal failings. After all, whoever said you were supposed to be perfect? Practice forgiveness. Self-hatred is often focused on the past, a painful moment or emotion like shame or guilt, anger or embarrassment, or a sense of powerlessness. In that space, there is no room to forgive ourselves or embrace who we are. 
Do your best to stay in the present and focus on how far you have come. This may feel uncomfortable or different, but over time, it will help you decrease self-hatred and gain self-compassion. A word from Very Well. Remember that stopping self-hatred takes time. It may it might feel challenging and impossible at times. You may even find yourself grieving this all too familiar part of you, which is okay. When you allow yourself to let go of the negative critic, you make room for more joy, peace, and connection in your life. And that, you guys, is the conclusion of this article on VeryWellMind.com. What is Self-Loathing by Jody Clark, M-A-L-P-C slash M-H-S-P. And we will be right back with the conclusion of today's episode of Ask the Massage Table Turn and another exciting article. I love you for listening. All right, my lovely loyal listeners, we are back and we are on the website psychcentral.com. This article is entitled, Eight Steps to Like Yourself More. It was medically reviewed by Scientific Advisory Board, written by Teresa J. Borchard on August 23rd, 2014. Notice the word like. I'm not going to be so bold as to introduce eight steps that will have you love yourself. Baby steps, right? For some, self-love is a no-brainer. They grew up in homes where love was the predominant four-letter word. Some possess too much and, like vanity smurf, are most comfortable with the mirror in hand. These are the loud talkers who think that everyone 20 feet behind and ahead of them should hear what's on their mind. I have been working towards self-like for 25 years now, and I think I have about 25 more to go before I'm truly comfortable in my own skin. I have lots and lots of exercises I use to get me smiling in the mirror instead of growling. Gleaned from the bookshelves of self-help books I've read over the years and the lessons I take away from therapy sessions. Here are a few of my favorites. Some of the steps I've taken lately to like myself more. Maybe they will generate some amicable feelings in you as well. Number one, lower your expectations. It's easy to hate yourself when you keep falling short of your expectations. Last summer, when I stepped away from my corporate job, I felt as though I should still be able to make at least two-thirds of that salary as a freelance writer crafting mental health pieces. 
So I signed on to an unrealistic number of contracts, giving myself approximately 2.5 hours to complete each piece. If I were able to crank out two to three articles a day, I could meet my salary expectation. Two things happened. My writing was horrible because I didn't have time to do any research or give much thought to the pieces, and I cried more than I wrote. A friend of mine saw the pressure I was putting on myself and begged me to quit one of my gigs as a depression expert of all things to save my sanity. In the process of patching myself together again after my breakdown at that time, I realized that I needed to give myself realistic goals. I tripled my time allowance for each piece, so now I get one done in less than seven and a half hours. I walk away with a feeling of accomplishment rather than defeat. I held on to some hourly consulting work where I can charge a higher rate to make the numbers work. Number two, read your self-esteem file. My self-esteem file is a manila folder holding lots of warm fuzzies from friends, readers, teachers, and an occasional family member. It was an, it was an assignment from my therapist about eight years ago. She wanted me to write a list of my key strengths. I sat down with the piece of paper and all I could come up with was thick hair, strong fingernails, and a well-proportioned nose. So she made me ask three of my best friends to list 10 characteristics they like about me. I wept when I read their lists and I stuck them into the folder that I labeled self-esteem file. After that, anytime anyone would compliment me on anything, you're a nice person, but we are firing you. I'd write it down on a post-it, nice person, and stick it in there. My therapist told me she would like me to graduate to a place where I don't need a self-esteem file, but I still don't know how to generate the warm fuzzies myself, so I'm keeping it. Number three, talk to yourself as a friend. Every once in a while, I'll catch myself self-bashing and pose the question, is that what I would say to Libby, Mike, Beatrice, or Michelle? If I talked to them that way, I, if I talked to them the way I talked to myself, the friendship would have ended years ago. No, I tell Mike, go easy on yourself. You're doing an amazing job. I tell Beatrix, you're under a ton of stress. No wonder why a few things can't be attended to right now. I tell Libby to listen to her feelings and Michelle that she is heroic. Number four, picture yourself. In one outpatient program I participated in for severe depression, we were instructed to visualize ourselves all better. I pictured a very serene woman in a pink sundress holding a rose, which symbolized healing. The, the expression in her eyes articulated true peace, as if nothing could shake her serenity. Later, in the mindfulness-based stress reduction MBS hour I took last month, we were asked to do the same. Once again, I pictured this woman in pink who wasn't worried about looking bloated or if she was going to be able to sleep that night 
or how to deal with the negative intrusive thought of the day. It was as if she was anchored in the moment and held a secret that would make all of my obsessions all of my obsessions seem foolish. Sometimes on my run or during my meditations, I will go back to that image and she brings me peace. Number five, discover yourself. In Annie and Annie Rufus's delightful book, Unworthy, she lists 10 hidden self-esteem booby traps and how to dismantle them. One such trap, non-identity, is fixed by figuring out who you are. Your post-self-loathing self is not some total stranger, she writes. He or she is you, the true you, found again. She then tells the story of a friend of hers who realized one day that all the clothes in her closet didn't match her personality at all. So she donated most of her wardrobe to charity and started over. This antidote reminded me of the afternoon my not-yet-husband told me we should help each other with our wardrobes. You go through all my clothes and put whatever shirts and pants you don't like into this plastic bag, he instructed me. I'll do the same with yours. An hour later, I had one shirt in the bag. He had nearly every article of clothing I owned inside his bag. Most of them were my mom's. When she quit smoking, she gained 50 pounds and sent me all her clothes. I was grateful because A, I wasn't cheap and A, I was cheap and hated to shop, and B, I didn't have enough self-esteem to think that I deserved my own clothes, skirts that didn't have to be pulled in at my waist with a safety pin and made with fabrics other than polyester. I didn't realize it at the time. But that afternoon was profound in that someone loved me enough to convince me that I was a person who was worthy of having her own style. We might not find our post-self-loathing selves in magazines waving to us from fashion spreads, writes Rufus, but we can hear our true languages in books, films, pictures, nature, music, laughter, wherever real or pretend people are. Make it a game, a sacred secret game. What speaks to you? Names, colors, landscapes, lines of dialogue. Each is a starting point. Each is a tiny light. Number six, offer yourself loving kindness. I am referring here to the kind of loving kindness meditation that Sharon Salzberg describes in her book, Real Happiness. The practice of loving kindness meditation is done by silently repeating certain phrases that express kind wishes for ourselves, then for a series of, uh, then for a series of others. The customary phrases are usually variations on, may I be safe or may I be free from danger, May I be happy, may I be healthy, may I live with ease, may daily life not be a struggle. The may I is not meant to be begging or beseeching, but is said in the spirit of generously blessing ourselves and others. May I be happy, may you be happy. During the MBSR course I mentioned above, we, we participated in several 
love, loving kindness meditations. When offering loving kindness to ourselves, we were instructed to put a hand over our heart if our inner critic was especially loud or if we were stuck in self-judging mode. Although I felt a tad stupid, this gesture did seem to invoke some compassion for myself. And we'll be right back with the conclusion of this article and today's episode of As the Massage Table Turn after this brief pause for the cause. I love you for listening. Number seven, ditch regret. Sometimes our self-hatred is deeply embedded in regret. We just can't let go of that stupid thing we did in 2004 or last week. Regret is another of the 10 hidden self-esteem booby traps Rufus lists in Unworthy. She asks an important question. What would it take to not look back? Then she tells the story of the musician Orpheus. In Greek mythology, who was destroyed by the death of his bride, Eurydice. Hades and Persephone, rulers of the underworld, tell Orpheus that he is allowed to bring Eurydice back to the world of the living if he meets one condition. Throughout the whole journey, Orpheus must walk in front of Eurydice and never look back. Even one look will thrust Eurydice back to Hades forever. Rufus writes, Resist resist looking back in regret as if your current and future life and the current and future lives of the dearest ones depended on it. Because it does. They do. Like all bad habits, this one can be broken. It might take prayer. It might take conditioning techniques. As soon as you catch yourself regretting, firmly turn your attention to something else, something positive, a song, pictures of your happy place, whatever you would like to learn, real or imaginary, tennis games. Today is the first day. Right here and right now, we must simply say, okay, face forward and walk on. This is the bravest act. Number eight, be held in prayer. In her book, Radical Acceptance, mediation teacher and psychotherapist Tara Brock tells the story of one of her clients, Marion, whose second husband used to lock Marion's daughter inside their bedroom, inside their bedroom and demand oral sex. When Marion learned of this, she was crushed with guilt. Afraid she might harm herself, she sought counsel from an elderly Jewish priest who had been one of her teachers in college. Brock explains, When she calmed down, he gently took one of her hands and began drawing a circle in the center of her palm. This, he said, is where you are living. It is painful, a place of kicking and screaming and deep, deep hurt. This place cannot be avoided. Let it be. Then he covered her whole hand with his. 
But if you can, he went on, try also to remember this. There is a greatness, a wholeness that is the kingdom of God. And in this merciful space, your immediate life can unfold. This pain, and he again touched the center of her palm, is always is held always in God's love. As you know, both the pain and the love, your wounds will heal. I was moved by that story because in those moments in which I've hated myself the most, on the brink of taking my own life, I felt the loving presence of God holding me together. Like Marion, I was able to find the way back to my heart by being held in the infinite compassion of God. If you are uncomfortable with the concept of God, you can reach out to the universe or some other being to hold you in compassion. All right. And that, you guys, is the conclusion of that article from psychcentral.com, Eight Steps to Like Yourself More by Teresa J. Brochard. Brochard. And that my lovely loyal listeners, is the conclusion of today's episode of As the Massage Tip Returns. Now, you know the rules. Don't let anybody take you out of your square. Because remember, you are the only you that there is, and you are doing a fabulous job of being you. All right? And love yourself more, because I love you for listening. And I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to my podcast. I appreciate your listenership. And please support my sister podcast, Just Miss Rose, which can be heard, which is recorded on Sundays, and it's a one-hour program. Thank you so much again, and I'll see you Friday. Have a good day. I love you for listening.